You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. Tommy's going to call in tomorrow. Um, If you recall, um, he was complaining about his foot and the last visit to the doctor where he thought that the doctor brushed him off a little bit when he suggested that he had gout and she wasn't exactly sure. Well, he's in pain today, and so he's going back to the doctor to basically tell the doctor what it is that he has and uh, get treated for it. So he'll call in tomorrow. But we've got a lot to talk about because uh, we took yesterday off. There's been a ton of Trent Williams news. We sort of broke some of that Trent Williams news. We didn't break it. It was breaking, and we uh, discussed it um, towards the end of the Tuesday uh, show Um, But there's been a lot more. Diana Rossini had a ton on Trent Williams yesterday. Uh, Albert Breer had a bunch on Trent Williams yesterday. Uh, John Keim had a tweet yesterday, which I want to get to um, because it addresses a a particular left tackle that the Redskins apparently at least had some interest in. So we'll get to all of that today. You know, today would have been opening day, Aaron, for the Nats defending their World Series title. They would have been in New York mm-hmm. to face the Mets uh, today. And um, How great would it have been if this weekend coming up we had the Nats opening their season in New York with the Terps getting ready to play in Madison Square Garden? Sweet, the Sweet 16 game in Madison Square mm-hmm. Garden would have been tomorrow night had they made it to the Sweet 16. Yes. Um, and, uh, and then the Sunday would have been the Elite Eight game yeah. against uh, – Maybe Duke. I don't know. Um, whoever the two seed or the three seed. If Maryland, look, without the conference t- championship, Maryland was going in as a four. Had they done well in their conference tournament, maybe they would have gone in a little bit higher. Anyway, um, yeah, it would have been a great weekend. It would have been a normal weekend. It would have been, actually, you know, what's interesting about opening days, it keeps getting moved up, and the national championship game gets. You know, later and later, because it used to be that opening day was the same day of the national yes. championship game. Yep, for that many Monday. years. Yeah. yeah, that Monday. Um, anyway, uh, the the home opener for the Nats would have been a week from today, and I actually mentioned this early in my radio show. Um, some of you care about this, some of you don't. Just bear with me. I've mentioned many of you know that I'm sort of a weather geek, mostly a winter weather geek, and sort of played the role of weather forecaster for many years on Tony Kornheiser's radio show and his podcast and everything else. Um, and I think I promised on this podcast when we launched it and then again this year that I would be the person that would look out two, three weeks down the road and tell you what the weather people wouldn't tell you, and that is that the models were showing like a massive snowstorm, right? And this winter, we just haven't had any winter to speak of. So there's been no uh, forecast for a big storm. And even when you've looked out and the models have been, you know, indicated maybe it was going to get colder, there weren't big storms to talk about. So we've basically been silent on the weather for most of the winter. This is going to go down as, I think, one of, if not the most mild of winters of all time in the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast. This area has seen maybe an inch of snow. I don't know what the exact amount at Reagan National. That's always a bad measurement um, area. Uh, They don't measure correctly, plus it's sort of a warm island effect, they call it. 
you know, the snow totals at Reagan National never really are reflective of what the snow totals in general around the area really are. They're very low usually. But I think we had maybe an inch or two inches of snow in early December, Aaron, and that was it. You know, we haven't, we not only have we not had any snow, we haven't had in the D.C. metro area any threat of snow. We haven't had any ice. I mean, what winter have we ever gone through where there wasn't at least one freezing rain event? There yeah. hasn't been any of that. Yeah, usually you get that one, you know, you might have that one two or three inch day, and maybe that's it, but you get that. Yeah, and so, and beyond that, Look, we've had winters where we haven't had a lot of snow. We've rarely had winters where we haven't had snow and no cold. It hasn't been cold at all during the winter. And in fact, it's been unusually um, warm uh, and mild during uh, this winter. So anyway, I bring this up to get to this. There is actually, in the extended forecast for one week from today... A potential big East Coast storm. Um, There is going to be sort of what they call blocking in place, high pressure blocking, which could keep some cold air filtering into the area with a storm approaching from the south. That for those of you that follow this stuff will ride up the coast and redevelop off the coast and become a you know a nor'easter of sorts for the mid Atlantic, Atlantic, and potentially the Northeast. Um, We're seeing more and more of a signal in the long range that this could happen. Now, will D.C. Metro in early April get a big snowstorm? It would be very, very rare. And in fact, what most of the models are indicating is that, you know, D.C. Metro and areas south and east would be mostly rain, if not all rain. But for those of you, now I'm going to sound like a real weather forecaster, for those of you that live well north and west of the city, you know, out in Frederick County and Loudoun County, and certainly for those friends of ours that listen to us uh, out in Hagerstown and out in Western Maryland, this could be your one big snow event. Now, the mountains of Maryland, you know, Western Maryland, they get a lot of snow. Even this year, they got they, they got much less than normal, but they average over a hundred inches of snow a winter. And I'm talking about Garrett County, Maryland which has an elevation of 2,500 to 3,000 feet. You know, that's where Wisp is, Deep Creek Lake is. It's a completely different weather uh, pattern. They get lake effect snow. They've probably had, you know, 25, 30 inches of snow during the winter, but that's not really reflective of the weather we in Washington and Baltimore uh, have, you know, in the metro areas. But anyway, it would be ironic after a winter of no winter to have a spring with a big winter storm. So a lot of the weather geeks out there, they're now, you know, on the on the message boards, the weather message boards and they're talking about all the model runs coming in showing this big storm or this potential big storm for next week. Um, and they're getting all geeked up over it, although th- they all understand that more likely than not it's a big rainstorm unless you live sort of well north and west of the city and if you do, you could end up getting you know, some winter for the first time this year. So there you go. There's my, I haven't really had a winter weather discussion, Aaron, in a long, long time. Um, and my my good friends like Sue Palka and Doug Kammerer, who I, I love both of them. I love Sue. I've known Sue for 30 years. Topper Shut does, does a good job. I know Topper. 
you know, I don't know that they're going to be mentioning this quite yet. They'll wait, you know, for a few days to see if the models continue to be consistent with this. And again, I'm not, I'm not putting it out there as a snowstorm for us or for the people that live in the immediate metro area. It's more likely than not going to be a cold rain. Um, but um, for some, it could be, you know, that live way out there in rural uh, areas, well north and west, it could be a little bit more uh, than just rain. So there you go. There's my my long-range weather update for the first time this winter because we have not had any winter to speak of. Um, also, I've mentioned uh, our Team 980 uh, bracket for um, the ultimate DC sports star you know, 68-team field, Aaron. Have you been voting? Have you been playing? Have you been watching it or not? Uh, I've been voting some when I see it pop up, yeah. So there are some very interesting... We're now into the second round. So if you're interested, you can go ahead and now, you know, play... Um, the you know go 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 to Twitter the Team 980 Twitter account that's really the best way to play this um, but you can go to the Team 980.com uh, and do it there on the website as well but all of the first round matchups are over and now we're into the second round the round of 32 and there are some very interesting matchups Len Bias against Patrick Ewing um, Len Bias beat Chris Hamburger in the first round Ewing beat Lefty Drizel. How about Anthony Rendon up, up against Art Monk? Um, here's the best one. We both predicted Allen Iverson as a 14 seed would advance, and he's going to face Sean Taylor in a second-round matchup with the winner playing Gary Clark-John Riggins' second-round matchup. Now, I think Rigo, Rigo you know, trounced Portis in the opening round. I think we both thought Rigo would get through that, and I think Rigo will get through Gary Clark as well. But a John Riggins either against Sean Taylor or Allen Iverson Sweet 16 matchup would be really interesting. I think Riggo would prevail. I think he would. As, as I said, I think Taylor has a chance for the Final Four here just because of, you know. Sean Taylor. Yeah. Um, so you like Taylor over Iverson here. I do like Taylor over Iverson. I think, you, I, think I would lean in your direction well, there. I, I like him to win. I don't know if I would vote that direction just because I think, again, Iverson criminally underseated, and he was just, he was so amazing when he was here. He was. He, I, I agree with you. Very, very underseated. Um, but Taylor's uh, going to win the vote. Other second round matchups. By the way, the, the upsets in the first round, Allen Iverson was an upset as a 14 seed. Um, we also had Bobby Beathard as a 12 seed upsetting Frank Howard, which I think we, we may have had. Um, there were a couple of nine seeds over eights. Morgan Wooten um, got by Bobby Mitchell. And then there was another nine seed that also um, advanced. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman knocked out Rod Langway. And Zimmerman now gets Joe Gibbs in the second round. Uh, Brian Mitchell, as an 11 seed, beat Charlie Taylor. So that was also a first-round upset. Although I, I don't think either one of us think of it as an upset. Now it's Brian Mitchell against Sonny Jurgensen. In a second round matchup, you also have Daryl Green and Joe Theismann in a one eight matchup, and Dexter Manley against Sammy Baugh in a seven two matchup. I'll give you another one: Nicholas Backstrom and Elvin Hayes. Backstrom, the six seed, would not surprise me if he advances. I would predict Backstrom's advancing in that one. Yeah, I mean, in fact, I think some of the you know the winners, Strasburg, you know, over Doug Williams, um, you know. Um, um, back well, Backstrom over Rizzo, you know, is an indication of you know a lot of Cap fans definitely participating in this. 
Um, Holtby beat Bryce Harper in the first round. That's not surprising. Yeah, okay, probably not. Yeah, again, because of because the feeling of popular, about Bryce Harper. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, but Sean Taylor, you know, reflective of certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see Taylor against Iverson, and then with one of those having the opportunity to face one of the all-time legends in this town, John Riggins. I think uh, Taylor Iverson matchup. and uh, Scherzer Jacoby are the two most interesting second-round matchups. That one. I could see going either way. Scherzer, Jacoby. Nah, Scherzer's going to advance. In fact, let me just go to, let's see where the voting is right now, because the voting is already underway. Uh, here it is. The the voting for these second round matchups started early this morning. <clears throat> and so far, with not a lot of votes in, 270 votes in, Scherzer's got a 57% to 42% lead. A 57.4 to 42.6 over Jacoby. Um, Elvin Hayes is getting, you know, beaten pretty handily by Backstrom. So we had that one. How about Bethard against Big John? Big John's got the lead over Bethard. Daryl Green, Theisman, Green right now heavily, uh, a a big time lead over Theisman. Um, again, the, the voting's very early. You've got not, you know, another 19 hours to vote on this. So just go to the Team 980 Twitter page, all right, uh, at the Team 980. It's not that hard to find. At the Team 980, at, at Team 980, excuse me, at Team 980. Um, the Manley versus Sammy Baugh. Sammy Baugh's got the lead over Dexter Manley. How about Sonny against B. Mitch? It's Sonny right now with a lead. Um, Strasburg unselled Strasburg with a big lead over unselled early Ovechkin, uh, you know, easily right now over Morgan Wooten Rigo. See this already Riggins has the biggest lead here in the second round matchups that I've checked so far. He's crushing Gary Clark, um, right now. Gibbs has a big lead over Ryan Zimmerman. Um, Gary Williams with a big lead over Katie Ledecky. Big lead, and in the matchup that we just talked about, Sean Taylor, Allen Iverson, it's not even close. You were right. Sean Taylor crushing Allen Iverson right now. The voting is very much, we're only at a couple of hundred votes on all of these because the voting just started a few hours ago. But go to at Team980 on Twitter or the Team980.com. And, uh, and vote for this. This is actually uh, going to be a lot of fun. We'll have more discussion about this as we get further uh, into it. Um, all right. Uh, lots of Redskins news to get to. I'm going to start with the uh, new stuff on Trent Williams. You know, we talked about the other day the agent's statements, uh, Vincent Taylor, the age, agent's statements about the situation. He's not happy. Well, the agent spoke. Uh, Diana Rossini's got some stuff from the agent as well. Get to her stuff here momentarily. Um, this from Albert Breer, though, on the Trent Williams situation. Albert Breer writes for SI's MMQB, Monday Morning Quarterback. And this actually comes from his mailbag, you know, where somebody asks him a question and then he answers the question. And I found this very early this morning. The question, which came from a Redskins fan, what is the trade value for Trent Williams? And Albert Breer answered that question as follows, quote, My understanding is there have been suitors out there for Trent Williams. The trouble is, and I'll be very clear about this, almost 100% this is about his contract situation. Last year, word circulated that Williams asked the Redskins for quarterback money. And the Redskins found interest over the last few weeks in Williams only to have suitors push away from the table 
when they were apprised of Williams's financial demands. Uh, Breer continues, Thing is, asking another team for a first or second round pick for a player is a lot. You're giving up a piece of capital that can bring in a young top player under cost control for the next four or five years, or maybe multiple players if you trade um, the pick and move down and get more picks. So the player being dealt for has to be good and really valuable to begin with. But if then that player wants to break the bank too, Andy's in his 30s, again, it's a lot. That's not to say Williams may not, ha- may not have a legitimate beef with the team or that he isn't worth more than he's making. It's just that if he really wants to be traded, he has to be realistic about it and work with the team since he's under contract. If he's more worried about making top dollar, then play the year out and hit the market next March. It's that simple. That was Albert Breer answering a question from a Redskin fan in his Monday morning quarterback column, Mailbag. So, look, the the big takeaway from this is that from his understanding, this is almost 100% about his contract demands. Okay, that the reason a deal hasn't been worked out is that Trent Williams is asking for too much. The teams aren't willing to pay. And he mentions that word circulated last year that Williams had asked the Redskins for quarterback money. Well, J.P. Finley, if you remember, on this very podcast, said that the amount that Trent Williams had asked the Redskins for was even hard to say. It was obscene. Um, And I mentioned uh, a couple of days later that I had learned that it had been at least $25 million a year, if not north of $25 million per year. Well, the Redskins, you know, scoffed at that. They're not paying Trent Williams quarterback money. One of the things we've talked a lot about, and this is where I think the agents really done Trent a disservice, and that is, you know, the holdout last year cost Trent, you know, somewhere between ten and fifteen million dollars. Let's split the difference and call it twelve and a half million dollars. It's a lot of money that the holdout cost him. And all the while, from my understanding, the agent, Vincent Taylor, was suggesting to Trent that it would be okay that they would be able to make it up with the next deal after he finally got traded in the offseason. Well, again, um, I know I've I've beaten this, this horse dead multiple times, but there is no team out there that will feel obligated to compensate Trent for what he lost last year. They couldn't give two shits about that doesn't matter to them. The Redskins don't really care about that either. You know, even if they are partly culpable for the holdout and for the deterioration of the relationship, he didn't play for them last year. He had two years left on their on, on his deal. They don't owe him for what he lost last year. And so trying to break the bank with quarterback money is an attempt to get back what he lost last year. Uh, he's not getting that money back. He is 32 years old. He just sat out a full season, and he's he can certainly say, I am one of the better left tackles in football. <clears throat> you sort of have a hard time saying he's the best left tackle in football. And somebody, um, I forget who it was, you know, uh, tweeted me and said, you keep saying that you know he hasn't been the best left tackle in football. That's for football people to say. Well, first of all, <laughs> we can have opinions of our own on this show, but The bottom line is he's made one all-pro team, and it was the second team in 2015. 
and I know that's writers, but the all-pro team is taken more seriously because the Pro Bowl voting is essentially a popularity contest with fans and with players. Um, Anyway, I digress there. The bottom line here is Trent Williams is going to have to lower his contractual demands if a deal is going to have any chance of getting done. Now, Diana Rossini had a ton on this as well. Um, She had a long uh, tweet yesterday, a long thread, about some of the things that she has learned recently. I'll just read you the entire thread. It started with, and we've had Diana on the podcast and on the radio show, and Diana really is plugged into the team. It starts as follows. Quote, It has been made clear to me there is no salvageable relationship between the Washington Redskins and Trent Williams. I've spoken to multiple sources from both sides, and here's where it stands. Williams met with Ron Rivera for about 10 to 15 minutes a couple of weeks ago, and afterwards there was not a feeling between the two that this was going to work. Trent and his reps noticed the team met with free agent players before meeting with him, which wasn't a strong first impression of the new regime. Sources say there are still players now on the on the roster that Washington coaches still haven't met with and that this wasn't intentional per sources, meaning not meeting with Trent or meeting with others before Trent. She continues, Diana Rossini, Trent has always respected like donor Dan Snyder, there have never been issues. As a former captain, the seven-time Pro Bowler really wants to be able to move on from Washington, but still return one day and possibly be part of the ring of honor. He wants the relationship to be healthy. She continues, the Redskins shopped Williams leading up to the Combine and had interest per sources. Days after the combine, the club allowed Williams' agent to seek a trade partner. Since then, Williams' Williams's agency or agent found a team who wanted to do business. I'm told Washington tried to negotiate, but believe that they can't just give a player like Trent away for small value in return. From what I learned, Washington believes they have been flexible, and this is on Williams's agency. The agency believes Washington has been inconsistent in their ask. So there you go. Um, that from Diana Rossini. So let's let's go through that. First of all, when she talked about the meeting that Ron Rivera and Williams had that lasted for just ten to fifteen minutes a couple of weeks ago and that there was a feeling between the two that this wasn't going to work. Um, You know, again, this is obviously a a guess, but if part of the conversation was, Trent, what are you looking for? And Trent said, I'm looking for quarterback money, or the number that he gave out was quarterback money. Well, I can sort of understand why that conversation would have been super short. Like, Ron Rivera's busy. He's juggling a lot of balls right now. Like, It ain't going to work. Trent wants too much money. We're not paying you $25 million a year. We're not paying you quarterback money. By the way, quarterback money can mean up to $30 million plus now. You know, essentially, Ron Rivera is trying to build a new culture. You want in or you want out? If you want in, then you've got to be realistic about your value. You know, if you're going to tell us you want to be compensated at, at a quarterback level, well, this conversation doesn't need to move on much further. Now, with respect to Diana saying 
Trent and his reps noticed the team met with free agent players before meeting with him, which wasn't a strong first impression of the new regime. Um, Get over it, man. You know, stop being so sensitive. It reminded me of the story that Jerry Brewer wrote uh, sometime last year, where in talking about Trent Williams, he said one of the things that really you know, sort of upset Trent was when they drafted Jaron Christian in the third round. And I remember, you know, coming on the podcast, Aaron, and saying, seriously? Like, you're 31 years old, about to become 32. Don't you think they're eventually going to draft a guy, you know, third round, fourth round, that they hope can replace you when you're too old to play? And he's the third rounder. They didn't take a left tackle in the first or second round. First round, they didn't trade for somebody. They didn't sign somebody new in free agency. And by the way, it turns out Christian's not very good, or at least not yet. But, you know, him and his reps noticing the team met with free agent players before meeting with him. Dude, get over it, man. Stop being sensitive. You know, how about a couple of things? Number one, let me not be a revisionist historian here and say that when Ron Rivera was talking about like this February 7th start date to figuring everything out. I was sort of like, what? Why haven't you already started to work things out? You you got hired a month ago. Why aren't, well, I mean, it wasn't that they weren't working. And I did suggest like one of my first calls would have been to Trent Williams and his agent to say, hey, is there a chance this can work out? Do you want to play? Yes or no? Um, and I was a little bit curious as to why Ron didn't reach out to, uh, to Trent right away, but you know, eventually he did, you know, a caller actually called in today and I think made a really good point, you know, when I hadn't really sort of considered and that is why didn't Trent pick up the phone and call Ron right when Ron got hired, you know, a, a, a mature player looking to get his situation resolved should have called him directly, Trent to Ron, not agent to Ron, Trent calling up Ron and saying, hey, welcome to Washington. Congratulations. Um, I'd love to sit down and talk to you about my situation as soon as possible. I want you know you to be able to have some clarity as to where I am and me the same thing. Um, it certainly didn't turn out well last year for the team or for me, and I'd like to start off on a good foot. When are you available? You know, he could have done that too. But um, anyway... Then we get, you were going to say something? Uh, I was going to bring this up at the end, but when you say that, you know, Ron Rivera basically said you're in or you're out. And if you're out, I don't want you around. I think that is where there is a little bit of disconnect here. And and obviously it goes to. I don't know that he said that. No, I know. But but that's kind of been the message that has kind of come across. Yeah, he's got a culture to change. Right, Right, the culture to change. So I think that's where there is at least a little bit of disconnect here. Because, yes, you want to get value. But if you're also trying to create this culture where you're in or you're out, Trent is clearly out. And I think that's something that I don't think is his agent should be bringing up, but it is something his agent kind of danced around in that statement he put out that says, look, you're trying to create this culture. You say you're in, you're out. Well, we're out, so let us go somewhere, just like you did for Quentin Dunbar. Right, but but the point is, from the team standpoint, that's fine, but you've got to do your part to get out too. Right. Which means you can't ask and be asking for a contract that no one's going to pay you. Because if you're asking for a contract that nobody's going to pay you, well, then nobody's going to trade for you. Right, and we are not going to release you and get nothing back for you, Trent. I mean, we we got a fifth rounder for Dunbar, which, by the way, is too low. Uh, I think we talked about that on on Tuesday. Um, 
I mean, he has to be willing to do what Dunbar did. Dunbar did not get a new contract. He's presumably going to play out his contract in Seattle and then get the new contract. Right. So he, Trent has to be willing to do well, that. Well, we don't know that Seattle's not going to give him a contract right. They didn't do it immediately. No, they didn't do it immediately. Yes. But, they, but, the, but, you know, it, it, to be honest with you, you know, for a guy that's making $3.5 and for a fifth rounder, it's a different conversation, right? Of if course. you're going to give up a first or a second rounder, you and you want to know that you're going to have that player for more than one year. Right. You know, so um, you get to the point to um, the next part of this, which was Trent has always respected and liked owner Dan Snyder. There have never been issues, and he wants to return one day and possibly part of, be part of the Ring of Honor. He wants the relationship to be healthy. So. This gets back to what I've alluded to and even said directly um, a couple of times. And I think other people um, that are familiar with sort of the situation have the same feeling. Um, and that is that what you see Trent and his agent trying to do here. And by the way, the, Trent, uh, the Trent's agent, uh, uh, Vincent Taylor, sort of suggested at the end of that letter that he put out the other day about how much Trent respects and loves Dan Snyder. Trent's appealing to Dan Snyder to just move him for anything. Hey, help me out, man. Do me a solid. Let me get the hell out of here. You know, even if it's a fifth rounder or a fourth rounder, just take it, you know. Um, But what's been really interesting over the last year and a half now almost, certainly the last year, is just how silent Dan Snyder's been been on all of this. You know, when Trent returned and ripped uh, Bruce Allen a new one, and actually, you know, referred to it, remember, let's not forget, he brought race into the conversation, you know, and said Bruce Allen, you know, doesn't handle, he didn't like the way Bruce Allen handles black players in general. Um, you know, there were some, ser- that, that was a serious accusation on that day that he returned, you know, right before the deadline to make sure that last year's contract accrued. Um, here's what I believe to be true, that Dan Snyder is just as upset with Trent Williams as Bruce Allen was, that organizationally the people that have all of the information on this are really, really angry. They really feel betrayed in many ways by Trent Williams and the way this was handled. You know, there's a feeling internally that they did do the right thing, that they set up doctor's appointments that Trent did not attend you know, to get the uh, the growth on his scalp looked at. Look, I don't know which side is true, telling the truth, and which side isn't. I just know for a fact that the Redskins organization, Bruce Allen for sure, and I believe Dan Snyder too, they were not happy with what happened last year. You know, Trent, before he returned through sort of his surrogates indirectly, Santana Moss, D'Angelo Hall, other people, you know, claiming this was all about distrust because of the way his medical situation was handled, when the Redskins know that initially this was a contract and a request for a contract uh, negotiation and an extension, which Bruce Allen balked at, and then it became very much a medical situation. You know, Charlie Casserly um, was on uh, it was on with Doc and Al on, on on our radio station on Tuesday afternoon. And he said, you know, this has always been about money. And Charlie was one of the first people to say, uh, this is all about money. This is not about the medical situation. This is all about money. And a lot of people push back because, remember, 
back then, this was most of you, most of the fans, believing the Redskins are stupid, they're mean, they're dysfunctional, all of which is true and has been true. This is their fault. Well, slowly but surely, I think the tide's turned here. And I think we have seen Trent Williams, first of all, come back. And while through sort of, you know, players that he played with, former teammates, they were saying this has nothing to do with money, it's all about medical. Then he comes back, you know, by that deadline in season last year and actually admits that it's at least partially about wanting a new contract. Okay? And now we get the reports about the kind of money he's asking for and the demands he's been making. Um... I think there is a sense, you know, from the from many in the fan base that, you know, maybe this was more about Trent. Maybe this had a lot to do with the way he handled it as much as the team handled it. Look, what isn't going to change is the fact that the Redskins would have been much better off organizationally had they moved on from Trent Williams early in 2019, like right at the end of the 2018 season before any of this became an issue, you know, before even he had the surgery on his scalp. They should have been in reboot mode, I felt, as most of you know. But even when we got into the, he said, you know, and there was no no answer coming back from the Redskins um, in terms of the, the accusations about the medical and the distrust over the medical handling of this, they, sh- they should have traded him. You know, if they had made him available, we would have known for sure what the offers were. But there were reports that certainly Houston was interested, and we know what they gave up for Laramie Tunsil. That Cleveland was interested, and there were reports that they were willing to give up a first. Um, New England was certainly willing to look at a late first um, before they found out what Trent's contractual demands were. Um, And it may have been really hard to trade him if Trent was going to demand a contract. It would have been much easier, though, right, for a team to say, look, we're going to look at the contract. Let's complete this trade. Let's get you in here. Okay, let's get get you started. We understand you got two years left in this deal. We're going to extend you. And maybe Trent would have just gone with it and let the trade get completed without a new contract as long as he could get out of town. But I think the Redskins were really, really upset about this. Um, I think they felt like they had been loyal to him during two different suspensions for weed um, and that they, they felt betrayed by the information that was coming out, that he was accusing them of being medically negligent. Um, in the handling of a situation that obviously was serious, that was obviously traumatic for him. You know, we heard it and he spelled it out when he returned in uh, last October. Um, but that they, you know, felt betrayed by some of the things that were going on. They felt that this was his response to them saying, we're not talking about a new contract with two years left on it. You sign this deal, we'll talk contract after the 2019 season, but we're not going to extend you now. We're not doing that. You know, by the way, you know, if the Redskins were more proactive than we think on the scalp situation, maybe one of the reasons that they didn't want to talk about a contract extension right away is they wanted the medical thing to be cleared up first. You know, they wanted to, they, they wanted that stuff taken care of. <clears throat> so anyway, we, we then, well, let's not forget that the Redskins were all in on a third-party investigation of this entire situation. The league was going to uh, fund a third-party and independent investigation of Trent Williams versus the Redskins. Redskins were all in on this. I think they felt like it would re- it would certainly 
uh, what would be revealed was that they handled this appropriately. And Trent Williams was the one that said, nah, don't want these, this third-party investigation, right? He, he backed out of it. And he said at the time, I don't want to relive the trauma, what I went through. And that's understandable. But at the same time, it smelled a little bit. It was a bit sketchy. You know, if he was 100% dead right about this, start to finish, that the team was negligent on all of this, I think he would have been pushing for this independent investigation to prove everything that he had said um, was correct. So time has not worked for Trent Williams. It hasn't worked in terms of the way people feel about this because as more and more comes out, it's apparent that it's been more and more about the money than some of you thought. And he lost between 10 and $15 million by holding out. And he's now in a situation where with the new CBA, the holdout situation is ugly for him. He can't hold out next year. If he does, the contract won't accrue. And he'll be sitting in the same position a year from now. I think I mentioned this the other day, and if I didn't, I'll say it now. Trent Williams is in a situation where he has very little leverage. He either has to drop these contract demands and then hope that a team will give the Redskins what the Redskins want, or he's going to have to contemplate either playing or holding out again. And if he holds out again, his career is near over. Two years, you know, giving up, you know, at that point it would be 22 million bucks minimum in two years. Who's going to want to sign him in 2021? Who's going to want to play him in 2021? You know, you would then have to ask the serious question of how much he really wants to play football. And he'd be two years removed from his last game. So time has not worked for Trent Williams and his agent. His agent, in all all honesty, from afar, without knowing every detail of this, I concede that. But it really looks like the agent messed this up seven ways to Sunday. Really screwed it up. You know, and this is a situation where Trent's lost a lot of money and now is on the verge of potentially losing a lot more. My position hasn't changed. If I'm the Redskins right now, there's no football going on. There's no OTAs or mini camps that are going to be scheduled. There's nobody even in the building. Okay. So I'm waiting until the draft at the very least. I'm waiting until the draft when a team decides or figures out they can't get the left tackle that they wanted and now maybe is ready to deal a little bit more than what they were talking about dealing. Again, the problem is is that Trent's going to have to lower his contractual requirements and his demands. You know, Per Albert Breer, he said this is 100%. The reason a trade hasn't gotten done is because Trent's asking for way too much. So he's going to have to get realistic about what he's worth And then maybe the Redskins will get an offer that they can accept. And maybe that happens before the draft. But at this point, I would bet that it happens after the draft. And the point that some of you have made to me is saying that this is the point you made last year, which is you can be patient because teams get desperate after a preseason where they lose somebody to injury or maybe they lose somebody to injury early in a season. Um, And you can get it done early in the season. That's true, 
But I do think there is a sense from this new regime that they want to move on from this. There's also the issue where in this one part where the Redskins don't necessarily have you know, total leverage in this situation, and that is they've got to figure out what they're going to do at left tackle. They don't have a left tackle right now. The only one under contract that can start is Trent Williams. You know, other than that, they they signed this guy Cornelius Lucas for depth purposes. So they've got a, you know, <clears throat> there's some incentive for them to move on as well as quickly as possible so that they can go out and sign Donald Penn, re-sign Donald Penn, or make another move. Or, by the way, have it as a priority in the draft, which they should have it as a priority in the draft anyway, right? Because even if Trent Williams comes back and plays this, one season for twelve and a half million bucks, you know they're they're probably not going to franchise tag him next year. John Kime tweeted something out yesterday that I thought saw and, and and made a note of. He said, "Yes, the Redskins did talk to left tackle Jason Peters at one point. As of now, doesn't seem like anything's going to happen. I think there's some curiosity in wanting wanting to see what they have in Jaron Christian as well." Assuming a Trent Williams trade, of course. Um, Jason Peters is, according to SpotRack, going to get a deal eight to nine million. He's one of those guys, Aaron. I would figure gets a deal done around draft time or after when teams figure out what they can or can't get in the draft. But eight to nine million is real money for one year for a thirty-eight-year-old left tackle. Um, if I didn't mention this the other day, I'll mention it again. Jason Peters is represented by Vincent Taylor, the gentleman who represents Trent Williams. Um, doesn't mean the Redskins can't work out a deal with Jason Peters. You know, it's a totally different situation. And obviously they've worth, worked with Vincent Taylor before in the past with Trent Williams. Um, in fact, I think, uh, I think Morgan Moses, or maybe it's Christian himself, Jaron Christian is actually a, a Vincent Taylor uh, client as well. Um, but Jason Peters would be one answer, but you can't sign Jason Peters until you know what the Trent Williams situation is. Now you might be able to go out and, and re-sign Donald Penn, you know, before you have resolution to the Trent Williams deal, because that's not nearly as much money. And Donald Penn was well-liked. Cooley pointed this out when he was on the podcast last week you know, his former college teammate at Utah State. Um, and Donald Penn played pretty well last year. You know, he really did. He played pretty well. So that's essentially the latest right on the um, Trent Williams situation. I, if I'm the Redskins, I don't have to do anything now. The more public Trent Williams and his agent become about this situation, the more it seems to be backfiring a little bit on Trent Williams. You know, the more and more the fan base starts to turn towards, you know what, Trent, you know, this has been about money and we are glad you're healthy and we're sympathetic to what you went through. But, um, you know, you better lower your demand so the Redskins can get something back. I I think that's what the sense of, of a significant percentage of the fan base are. Others of you, and you've made this very clear, are like, dude, enough of this. Just take the fifth rounder and move on. The problem is is that his contract demands right now have to come down to get a deal done anyway, at least according to Albert Breer. So there you go. Um, That's the latest on Trent Williams. 
We're going to get to some other Redskins news here uh, momentarily, including Ron Rivera's conversation on a Charlotte radio station from two days ago. Said a couple of things about Kyle Allen and about Dwayne Haskins and about Cam Newton. We'll get to that. Julie Donaldson had some stuff on our radio station yesterday about Alex Smith. But Adam Schefter um, was on with Mike Greenberg this morning on Greenberg's show Get Up. And one of the conversations they had um, was about the NFL draft. General managers don't want the NFL draft to take place on April 23rd, which is now we're less than a month away. During the, the during this you know essential period of time where they're locked out from facilities, etc., they don't feel they can prepare. Uh, adequately for the NFL draft. Not only that, they feel that some, you know, certain teams might get an advantage because some, te- you know, states are on lockdown. They wouldn't be able, even if the NFL let them in, they wouldn't be able to. While others would be able, to. right? So, um, disadvantage situations based on the state they're working in, et cetera, et cetera. But the NFL is going to move forward with the draft. Adam Schefter and Mike Greenberg were having a conversation about this, and ultimately it got to an idea that Schefter had that Aaron and I want to respond to. Here it is. I'll give you my idea, Greeny. Yeah. Basically, how about having one round of the draft on every night? So we have seven nights, seven rounds. Basically, it's the Hanukkah of NFL <clears throat> drafts. That's what you're talking about in time. And there's no rush to get through anything. It gives teams on the clock more time. It's not like coaches have to have players in mini camps next week. They don't. There are no mini camps. There's no offseason program. There's no other sporting events on the calendar. Have the draft occur one round per night for one straight week, and every round would be a big deal that week. Well, we uh, to get it to be exactly the Hanukkah of the NFL draft, we'd have to add a round, right? Because yes. Hanukkah's eight days, eight nights, Unless I believe. you want to split the first round into two nights. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could do that. Yeah, we have we have one A and one B on the first round. Um, you know, look, we need content, and we need it spread out. <clears throat> and each one of these rounds, you know, they could actually extend the time uh, in between picks. Usually it goes, I think, from... Isn't it 10 minutes in the first round down to five for the subsequent rounds? It might be seven for the second Whatever round, something it is. like that, yeah. You know, you could do the full 10 minutes, you know, for the for the next uh, several nights. Uh, I think you're going to lose people like you typically do anyway by the time you get to the fourth round. You know, those first two nights, you know, of the first round, the first night, and then rounds two and three on that Friday night are highly rated. Now, they're also in prime time. Yes. Um, Very highly rated television shows. And you're talking about players that you've heard of for the most part and important picks. And then you get to Saturday at noon when they have in recent years gone from rounds four through seven where you know it's it's a it's a lightning round too man it's moving quickly and you get to that point Aaron where when you're in the 5th and 6th round you know they're having conversations about first rounders and second rounders mm-hmm. from the previous two days and then they'll catch you up with like the last 5 picks have been so it would be you know more about okay here in round 6 on our 6th night of coverage you know, the Las Vegas Raiders are on the clock. Oh, look, here's the long snapper they're going to take. Yeah, I don't know. I mean... I do think there's an idea there. If, if you want to say, not all seven nights, but if you want to say first first round gets its own night, second round gets its own night, third night gets its own night, and then maybe you do four through seven or four and five and six and seven, you know, something along those lines. I think your original 
trying to fit it into eight days, eight nights of Hanukkah is actually better. I think splitting the first round yeah. into two nights is much better programming. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, that first round, because you have a longer period of time in between picks, um, and maybe you could even extend the time in between picks yeah. to 12 minutes or whatever. Uh, you know, the, remember, that first round is three and a half hours. Right. So cut it in half and make, you know, the show, you know, essentially a, an hour and 45 minutes on two consecutive nights. That that would be, that's a pretty good idea, actually. And, and rem- you know how that first pick of the second round, after they made that second round, there how much speculation there is about trades and stuff. Could you imagine oh, yeah. right in the middle of the first round? Right. There, we, we've that? completed, you know, uh, we've completed the first 16 picks and at number 17, I don't even know who's picking at number 17, you know, all of the conversation you have overnight. 24 hours to trade that it, pick? Yeah, I, th- I think that that would really add some drama to it. I think it would be actually a really good idea in this particular draft to do that. Um you know, now you may get that situation right where where you do at the end of the first round anyway, between number thirty-two and the first pick of the second round. That the first the team on the clock has a lot of time to think about it, right. a lot of time to consummate, you know, a trade. And so, what you might get is, you know, the team that's picking sixteen, and I'm pulling it up right now, Atlanta picks sixteen. They it's would like not it's un- be happy. They yeah. wouldn't be happy exactly. because the Cowboys are at seventeen, and they would have all this time. And, uh, but almost objectively, whatever. the seventeen pick would be more valuable than the 16th pick in that situation. It could be. I'm the fact that it you, could be because of the trade-ups. Have, the fact that you have 24 hours to make your pick instead of 10 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever makes that more valuable. I think these teams ha- have all of the first round pretty much simulated so many different ways anyway but that, that they're prepared for. But that you have 24 hours just to go yeah, through all the do. trade possibilities to contact I like that idea, team. though, from a consumer oh. standpoint. I think it makes. I think that would be exciting. And, yes. and by the way, let's be honest. The first round of the draft is really exciting, but when you get into the latter portion of the first round and it's 1130 at night, right. you know, it gets to the point where it's like, all right, let's get this first round over. I think they should split the first round into two nights. I think that's I think that's makes a lot of sense. And then you could, you know, you could potentially split the the round 2 into two nights and then do round 3 th- through 7 you know, in one fell swoop with shorter periods of time. I don't know. You, you just you just do the whole thing behind closed <clears throat> doors and you reveal you just put the whole draft on tape delay and you uh, reveal it that way. That way no there's no uh unfair advantage there. I think it would be exciting to do it that way. I'd love it. I do. Um, All right. uh, Let's get back to some Redskins uh, uh, stuff that we haven't gotten to and didn't have a chance to get to yesterday. Ron Rivera uh, was on a radio station in Charlotte, all right, Um, a show that he's familiar with. Um, Some of you tweeted, because I played these sound bites on the radio show yesterday, and some of you tweeted something that I, I will quickly respond to. You're like, dude, why do the Redskins let all of their key people keep doing radio shows outside the market and they're never on anybody's shows locally? Well, I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration. We've had you know radio guests over the years. But yes, there has been a very antagonistic relationship between sports talk radio, especially our station over the years with Redskins PR. I can't, you know, I can't sugarcoat it. There has been, for what reason, we'll never really understand. We have a lot of theories as to why. Um, But 
Um, yeah, it's it's not been from a lack of asking over the years. Uh, every single week, a request goes out for various people to come on. And, you know, Tony Wiley was the PR guy for many years. He was not very helpful to Sports Talk Radio, uh, our station in particular. Um, it was a bit uh, of, of a relationship that was you know, puzzling at times. We would hear key people from the team end up on radio stations outside of the market all the time, um, and even on the other radio station at times, um, and not uh, ours. It it never made a lot of sense to any of us. Can't explain it, have a lot of theories, but I'm not going to get into them. But yes, uh, it's, it's, it's been, and many of you have recognized this, it's been you know, it's been weird. It doesn't happen that way in most cities, um, especially when you're the rights holder, uh, as as 980 has been. Usually there's significant preferential treatment, which the radio station never got over the course of the years. In fact, uh, it got the opposite of that. But anyway, this Ron Rivera interview was probably not a, a Redskins PR situation anyway. It was probably Ron Rivera with a relationship with a local radio host in that market and going on with that local local radio host. Anyway, for the purposes of of this show, it, what's important here is what he said. And of course, we can play back what he said and comment on what he said. So the first uh, soundbite that I'm going to play for you was uh, a response to why the Redskins traded a fifth rounder for Panthers quarterback Kyle Allen, a quarterback that obviously Ron Rivera and Scott Turner were very familiar with. Here was his answer. Well, the biggest thing more than anything else is that Kyle fits what we do. He understands our, our system. You know, Scotty Turner's our offensive coordinator. You know, we're using the, the system that we had basically had in place for nine seasons. And Kyle's a young quarterback. He's had some success. You know, he, 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 he is good in the locker room. He understands what I'm looking for. He understands what Scotty's looking for. So hopefully we can take that and use it to our advantage with our, with our new team. You know, a lot is in there because it's – it, it makes sense. You know, it, we, we talked about the Kyle Allen trade on Tuesday's show. Um, and my feeling is that I loved the trade. I loved a fifth rounder for a need, which is a quarterback on this team. And I love the fact that Kyle Allen not only uh, is familiar with the system, which is what Ron Rivera just told you, that he's very familiar with the system. And this is a unique offseason that we are you know, entering here. Perhaps no mini camps, no OTAs. Who knows? Could be a condensed training camp by the time we get there, although let's hope that's not the case. Um, but somebody that knows the system was going to be important to this whole thing. Um, and I think the guy can play. And they clearly like him and have confidence in, in him, and they know him. And so to get him for a fifth rounder, to me, was a no-brainer. Um, by the way, um, I mentioned this with Tommy the other day, and I, and I looked at, at a little bit more of Kyle Allen from last year. You know, he's a playmaker, man. He can make plays. He can make all the throws, too. Um, what he does in his bad performances is he does make some throws into tight windows where you're like, nah, you can't make that throw. He makes some head-scratching throws that ended up you know, being intercepted, but you could say that about a lot of first-year quarterbacks. I know it was his second year, but first year of really playing. But anyway, that was Ron Rivera on Kyle Allen. Now, here was Ron Rivera when asked about Dwayne Haskins. Is Dwayne Haskins your starting quarterback? I mean, is that what you're going into camp believing, or are these guys going to compete? That's what we're going into camp believing, but they're going to compete. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen. So 
we've just got to get ourselves ready and, 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 and really like who we have in terms of our young quarterback. But Kyle's also a young guy that's got, got a live arm that understands the game, understands how we do things. So I'm excited about what this potential could be. So, you know, one of the things, and it's not the host's fault because he's not as interested in the the Haskins answer as we would be, you know, here in Washington. But it would have been better if the question had been, is Dwayne Haskins your starting quarterback? Instead of then adding to it, or are they going to compete for it? Because it gave him the opportunity to say they're going into they're they're going to compete for it, you know, um, rather than being able to you know definitively answer one way or the other on Haskins as a starting quarterback. But anyway, that that's 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 not really significant. What is significant is I think what you're hearing from Ron Rivera, and based on the quarterback that he traded for. Okay, he did trade a fifth rounder for him. Um, is what I said the other day, that this is Dwayne Haskins' job to lose. But they have a guy that they can legitimately prop up and say, this guy's ahead of you in terms of knowing the system. He started 12 games last year. He won five games. He was 5-1 and one at one point as a starter. Um, you better be doing the things that we've asked you to do, which is be so committed Take over that leadership role, meaning you better know this offense. You know, forwards, backwards, uh, every which poss- every every possible way to be able to almost mentor and teach others on it. Um, we are presenting you with a guy that can play and a guy that's played for us and knows the system. This is a real challenge. This is a real competition. At the same time, say, but Dwayne, you do the things that we tell you to do. You're going to start because we believe in you. And I think that's where it is. I think it's Haskins, if he comes in and does what he's supposed to do, okay, and he is committed and he's got the work ethic and the preparation uh, part of it down, Um, and from a leadership standpoint, it is knowing the offense every which way possible Um, and being able to tell Terry McLaurin where to line up if McLaurin isn't sure, um, then it's his job to lose. And I hope my personal view is I think Dwayne will respond I think he's smart. I think he is, as Bill Callahan referred to him, he's a guy that that learns quickly. He's not a, a, a mistake repeater, um, which is something that I'll never forget. It was not even asked of him. He went out of his way, Bill Callahan uh, did, to say that's one of the, thing that's, the things that's been most impressive about Dwayne is that he doesn't make the same mistake twice. That's an implication of a guy that's coachable. That's implying he's a coachable guy. Okay, We only have to say it once, and he gets it. So I think he'll rise to the uh, challenge. I think he will hold on to his position and not be beat out. And he'll go start 16 games. And the Redskins will have a good backup, a good young backup, who, by the way, because he knows the system so well, can also simultaneously compete and help Dwayne at the same time as the backup. It could be a very effective quarterback room for them. Now, Cam Newton was released the other day. Um, Ron Rivera was asked about whether or not there was any interest in Cam Newton. No, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, we have a young football team with a young quarterback in, in position, and we have the chance to set and establish a thing. So, you know, that's the way we're looking at it. Going forward, you never know what's going to happen, but where we are right now, and, and you know, we've, we've made a commitment to a young guy, to young guys, to be honest with you, to find out who we have as a football team. There you go. So... They are going, Dwayne is the guy. They've got another young guy in Kyle Allen that 
can be a solid backup, solid competition, and by the way, a fail-safe of sorts if the offseason is truly condensed. Um, Cam Newton was not in their plans. Um, you know, many of you tweeted me and said, man, they could have gotten Cam Newton for nothing, but they traded a fifth for Kyle Allen. Well, the coach just told you that's not the direction they want to go in. Um, lastly, on the Redskins, Julie Donaldson was a guest uh, on Doc Walker and Al Galdi's show on the station on the Team 980. Um, and Julie, you know, I'm just going to essentially tell you what she said. She essentially said that Alex Smith, her sources tell her that Alex Smith is not going to play. It's highly unlikely that he'll play football again. This is not, you know, a revelation of sorts. I think it's been a pretty good, safe bet on this. Um, But she just sort of made it clear that she had sources that inside the organization that were saying it's highly unlikely that Alex Smith is going to play again. So, uh, look, you know, the trade for Kyle Allen sort of proves that. I think we all knew that, you know, based on the injury, the seriousness of the injury, that he wasn't going to play. What this gets to now is the, you know, the whole issue of when do you move on from Alex Smith? Do you cut him in this offseason? Do you cut him next year? You know, I, that's going to be up to the team. Obviously, um, they have a very good relationship with Alex Smith. The owner does as well. The Redskins took out insurance. They've got an insurance policy, which will give them some salary cap relief. Um, there's not significant benefit to cutting Alex Smith now or even with a post-June 1 designation this year. Um, next year's the opportunity to do it. Um, and to, you know, uh, t- to Alex Smith, who continues to try to work his way back into, into pro football shape, you know, they also want that from a, a an insurance uh, standpoint because they're going to have to prove that he gave it every effort to get back into football playing shape and couldn't do it. So, um, the, the you know, in summary on Alex Smith, you just hope he's able to live a normal life with that leg. You're thrilled that he survived what he survived, which was sepsis and a decision on whether or not to amputate the leg and his life being in danger at one point. Um, so uh, terrific guy, first-class guy. Um, I don't know if he's got a role in the organization moving forward. I really don't. I know the owner really is fond of Alex Smith and that the Alex Smith's wife and Dan Snyder's wife um, are friendly as well. Um, but, you know, they can continue to be friends without Alex Smith being a part of the organization moving forward. Hopefully that will be Ron Rivera's call um, as to whether or not Alex Smith has a role. Uh, Alex Smith was not a good fit for Jay Gruden. I don't know why they weren't compatible. Maybe it was on the verge of turning around had he stayed healthy. Maybe because they were only nine games into their relationship, maybe year two it was going to work out much better. I was never against the trade. I was always against the the uh, contract extension. It was too much money to give a 34 year old quarterback um, in the form of an extension. Um, but I'm not going to you know play um, revisionist here and tell you that you know I thought it was a dumb trade from the jump. I didn't. I thought the Redskins were in position in 2017 to be a better team had they stayed healthy with Kirk quarterback. They had some young defensive talent. They were better defensively early in that season, if you recall, against teams like Oakland and even Kansas City in that Monday night game. And then the injury bug hit. And the injury bug really hit them offensively. Um, coming back to 2018, you know, they had 
uh, you know, a team president that was clearly, you know, in need of coming up with a solution. Uh, they felt they had some young talent. They were hopeful of being healthy. I'll never forget before that season, Bruce Allen said, look, our best free agency is going to be the 21 players that will be coming off injured reserve. And they were decimated by injuries in 2017. We know that. And then 2018 ended up being the same season in terms of injuries, which is probably in part, you know, the Alex Smith injury and the ability to say, hey, we're close, even though they really weren't, um, to, to Bruce getting another year. It was never in favor of the extension. I always thought that the player made sense because I was always sort of an Alex Smith fan from Kansas City, understanding that Alex Smith needed a run game. Alex Smith needed weapons around him. His career had proven that if it was just him, he wasn't a guy that was going to strap you to his back and take you to a win and take you to a winning season. Um, I still think in hindsight, had they played Mahomes in 2018, um, uh, that 2017, excuse me, that maybe they would have ultimately won the Super Bowl that year. I mean, I think we know from we've seen from Mahomes that they were sitting on, you know, a powder keg of of potential and talent. Now Andy Reid stuck it out with Alex Smith, and they lost in the first round that year to the Titans at home at Arrowhead. Uh, but Alex Smith is a great guy. You wish him the best of health. Clearly, the trade didn't work out for the Redskins. It'll be interesting to see how they handle the contract. I think there's a lot that they still have to do to get that insurance uh, deduction, to, to get the insurance payment, and to get it, you know, uh, from a cap perspective, um, get the uh, help from it from a cap perspective. But um, it would appear, based on what Julie said, and Julie's been all over some things recently uh, as far as the Redskins are concerned, that uh, Alex Smith's uh, career is more likely than not over. Uh, I think we were all leaning in that direction and feeling that that those were the odds uh, anyway. Um, Last thing uh, on the show today, because I don't think we had this on Tuesday, because I think it came out Tuesday. Peyton Manning turned down the Monday night football offer, Aaron. You know, it's over. Yep. He's not doing uh, – I think he would have taken the gig had Al Michaels yep. been snagged from NBC. I think we know that Mike Tirico was a guy that absolutely Peyton Manning would have worked with, but he's turning down roughly $18 million Tony Romo uh, money to not do Monday Night Football. And right now ESPN hasn't said that they're moving away from Tessator and Booger McFarlane. Um, you know, there are possibilities, you know, there was some discussion about Drew Brees or Philip Rivers. If either one of them had retired, we've heard Kurt Warner's name mentioned, Lewis Riddick's name mentioned, you know, like a Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, Lewis Riddick booth, you know, we've heard tossed around, we've heard tossed around Chris Fowler and Herb Street going from the Saturday night college game to the Monday night booth. Um, I don't know what'll happen. Uh, there are a lot of people out there. I love Brad Nessler. I think Nessler would be great with somebody like Kurt Warner or something like that. But uh, Peyton Manning, uh, you know, I, he's going to have plenty of other opportunities if he wants them in the future. It's surprising, though, right, that he's neither gotten into management, coaching, or the booth. You know, he really hasn't. He's been very, you know, discerning, very picky, and uh, he's not going to do Monday Night Football. Uh, they need they needed to get Al Michaels, I guess, for him to do Monday Night Football. All right, um, what else do we have? Anything? Peyton Barber. Uh, right, Peyton Barber. They signed Cody Latimer um, in the last few days. Uh, 
Peyton Barber. What do you want me to say about Peyton Barber? Uh, you know, Peyton Barber, to me, the bigger thing is not whether or not he can play. It's that they've now signed two running backs, you know, in free agent. They've given both of them two-year two year mm-hmm. deals. Uh, Barber got a two-year deal. To me, it says more about what they think they have. Yes. You've got a guy that's injury-prone in Geis, and who knows about Bryce Love. They've got a 35-year-old guy in Adrian Peterson. And I also think it says something else, and I just want you to keep an eye on this because we've seen sort of, you know, Monte Nicholson got released, Quentin Dunbar got traded quickly. Um, They want maturity. You know, this is a culture change as much as it's anything else. And Darius Geis is a talented player whose biggest issue is health right now and being injury prone, and that's a concern. But, uh, you know, there have been some things that I think all of us have heard that would suggest that Darius Geis isn't the most mature of players on that team. And this could be an answer to that as well. You know, signing uh, backs like McKissick and Peyton Barber. Not to mention the fact, and I mentioned this a month and a half ago now, that if Kenyon Drake had become available, the Redskins were going to be players for Kenyon Drake. I told you Amari Cooper, Hooper, and Drake. And they were obviously a player for Hooper. Um, They would have been a player for Drake. They transition tagged Arizona did Drake after trading David Johnson to Houston as part of the DeAndre Hopkins deal. Um, Peyton Barber is a good back. He had a decent game, if you recall, when the Redskins went to Tampa a few years ago and won that crazy game 16-3 to where they had like 500 yards. Uh, They gave up 500 yards of offense to Tampa. Tampa missed a bunch of field goals, had a bunch of turnovers in the red zone. Barber had a good game that day. Um, he's he's you know he's a bigger guy, he's a physical guy, um, but you know he's not. They're not looking at Peyton Barber right now as an eighteen to twenty carry a guy night. I mean, AP is going to get those carries. Barber will be you know spell him if Geis isn't you know able to do it or Love. I'm still hopeful about Bryce Love. I think he's got. I just loved him as a college player and as a college running back. Uh, as a as a college running back. Um, what else did we miss? Uh, Latimer, you know, may be more of a signing for special teams. Um, he was a, a big-time gunner um, for the Giants and the Broncos. Um, they signed that guy Richard Rodgers a couple of days ago, and that's it. You know, uh, some of these uh, some of these guys have been made more official, like Thomas Davis today. Um, but they've got a they got a free agent class that's basically underwhelming. I think we would all say, you know, Kendall Fuller, good for him, good for the team. Um, you got to like that. Uh, you know, they tagged Brandon Sheriff. That was a big thing. They re-signed John Bostic. Um, I think Thomas Davis is going to have to have a chance to start with the way he produced last year. Sean Davis, you know, they cut Monte Nicholson. They signed Sean Davis. It looks like he's going to be right now the front runner to be the starter as the uh, free safety uh, opposite uh, Landon Collins. But, um, you know, the Cody Latimer thing is really more of a, a depth than a special teams thing is what I would guess. They have not gotten the weapons they were hoping to get to to, to give Dwayne more of a chance uh, in year two. Uh, I think that's it. Nothing else has happened while we've been sitting here on the show? Nope. No big stories, no big signings? Nope. Okay. That's it for the day. Back tomorrow. Tommy will be with us tomorrow on the show.